Good morning. This is, the, this is a reading from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8, verses 26 through 40, found on page 916 of your pew Bibles. Here are these words from the book that we love. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran <clears throat> to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. <clears throat> and when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotos, and he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may. All right. Well, again, happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room. Remember, we're going to that baseball game. It's not the Phillies. It's what happens when they go to the World Series. Ticket prices go up, so... Uh, but that'll be fun. Uh, just a reminder, we're reviewing our mission statement, live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Northeast Philadelphia. Uh, two weeks ago, David Gockley preached on live, and I will be looking at speak today, and then Zach will conclude this series on serve. Um, so, yeah. Uh, lastly, before I get into it, uh, this sermon is influenced by the pastor of Liberty Mainline, Matthew Harmon. So... To, to begin, a question for you. Do you ever wish people would just stop talking? Or maybe you know somebody that just continues to talk. You don't have to raise your hands, but you, could, you probably know somebody. So in our passage today, there's one person who's a Christian. He talks about Jesus with another person who's not a Christian. But at the end result, they are, he becomes a Christian. And so the reality that is most familiar to us is that when we talk to people that don't think like us or act like us, it can be uncomfortable. But in reality is, uh, you know, it's fine to talk to people that aren't Christians. <laughs> uh, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, you might hear Christians talk and you might just cringe. You might think they don't produce any joy. They're judgmental. And even if you are a follower of Jesus, maybe you also cringe too. Uh, there's if you go on social media, you can get embarrassed pretty quickly 
by what people post and the social and just the different social media platforms of how Christians use the word and use Jesus for their platform. And in our current world, people are questioning if we really need to talk about Jesus, God, faith, and the Bible. And conversations, they're different than sending a post. So, uh, and we need to have, be bold in our speech. Uh, Warren Wearsby of Moody Church, he's a Moody Church pastor and commenter, commentator, said, truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. So as followers of Jesus, we, in our speech, we need to have love, truth, and joy at the forefront. So today we're going to be looking at how God packages and delivers this message of joy. And to do that, I've got three questions that we're going to answer. Where joy is sent, what do I say, and who receives it? So our first question, where joy is sent. Joy is not always where we expect it. Philip uh, received a number of surprising instructions. Go to a desert. And uh, a note about Philip, this is not Philip of the, the Apostle Philip who was with Jesus. This is actually a different Philip who joined the church uh, looking back at Acts 6. So he joined a little later. So um, with that, looking back at verses 26 and 27 of chapter 8, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. So first, Philip gets up. He leaves Samaria where there's crowds are gathering. He's feel like he's probably doing the Lord's work. People are converting every day. The church is growing. And so he tells him to go on the Jerusalem-Gaza road. And for perspective, it's a 30 to 93-mile road. We don't know where he met the Ethiopian, but if you started walking to right now and said, go to Central Park in New York City, that would be your route that you would take. So, uh, and this meeting that they take place is literally on the side of a highway. So why would God send a proven and successful evangelist to the middle of nowhere? Because he divinely knew that's where he, where he needed to be exactly. And where to speak joy? Wherever God is already moving us and sending us. It's in the ordinary places that God has these meetings for us. And from God's perspective, there are no meaningless moments. Just quite the opposite. Every moment is meaningful. And this isn't God playing chess, moving Philip, moving the Ethiopian to the different spots. But we see a reminder of this in 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 4. Paul states, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. So this matters not just for our interpersonal life, but also the big picture. And looking at the big picture... You know, as a Christian, speaking about Jesus to others, it's not really cool. Not, you know, maybe at Creation Fest, that's probably the only place that it's cool. But it's kind of unpopular. And so Philip had to leave Jerusalem because of persecution. And just like in our present culture that's post-Christian with secularism, there are people that see Christian ideas as either wrong, outdated, and even dangerous. But we know that God is in charge of all of the obstacles that are in front of us. It doesn't matter what happens today, next, tomorrow, a year from now. 
God's obstacles, can he, the obstacles that are God can overcome those. And he might be orchestrating the opportunity for you, and if God is the one who, in charge of these opportunities to speak to, he thinks you're qualified, and he has prepared you just the way he wanted to. Uh, this past year, I switched schools. Uh, I joined the Philadelphia School District, and before that, I was in, <laughs> shout out from John, um, the uh, year before that, I was at a small Christian school where I, would, I went there to, and I, I grew up going there, so it was, I was working with the teachers that had me, and it was a really cool experience, and I got to talk about God every day. It was the norm, uh, but when I left there, I was, un, I was uneasy. I didn't know if, oh, am I going to be the only Christian? What are my students going to be like? What are my coworkers like? And quickly I found that there are Christians that do work in the school district of Philadelphia, <laughs> and there are even some students that were curious about religion. And throughout the year, getting to know my students and coworkers, I brought up casually, oh, we had May baptized. Oh, I'm an elder at my church. I'm, you know, and conversations quickly developed of, you know, wanting to know more about religion. And I think sometimes students did it to distract me, which is totally fine. Um, but I did have a student uh, as the year progressed, asked me one day, I asked, do you want a Bible? And with a resounding yes, she wanted a Bible. So I did that. I gave her a Bible, and I made sure, like, this, you know, this is off the record and everything. But, but I pray for her as she is diving into the Word. So what do I say? Uh, our second point. Uh, you know, when... When we're talking to people about Jesus, we can get nervous. Uh, you know, what do exactly do I do? What are the right words? You know, I don't want to pull out the outline. But let's look at what Philip does. Philip is prompted by the Spirit. He's jogging along this chariot. So maybe, he's a, maybe he did track in high school. I don't know. And before he says anything to the eunuch, he just listens. He listens to what he's reading. And back in the day, in the ancient world, it was common to read out loud. That was, everybody was doing that. It was the norm. So Philip listens first, and then he gets to know what the stranger is reading. And what Philip is doing here is exactly what Jesus did during his ministry. Jesus would first speak and teach. And mostly it was to people at dinner parties, at meals, events where community and fellowship were happening. And if looking at the Gospel of Mark, you know, when demands of healing took over, Jesus would relocate and go elsewhere to go back to teaching and speaking. And so Jesus instructed his disciples to do the very thing, baptizing them, and that's what Philip is doing right here. There are, some, there are some extraordinary moment, elements when it comes to this moment, though. Philip listens first so that the eunuch's mind and starts there. And God does not just, you know, give the Bible to the eunuch and say, read this and you'll understand it, because clearly we see he asks questions. So God uses everyday situations. And this conversation, again, it happens on the chariot, so for you it could be, sharing a ride with somebody, taking the train, you know, waiting at the bus stop, at the t-ball game over the summer. Uh, Philip was qualified for church office, 
But he's doing this not on church time. He's not doing it, you know, on the church dime. He's doing this because the Lord has called him to do it. And too often we think that only people in ministry jobs can do these things. They have the credentials. But in reality, when a pastor talks about Jesus, people aren't surprised. That's their call. That's their, what's, what they're doing. It's their norm. But when ordinary Christians, your plumber, your coworker, maybe your neighbor, talk about Jesus, we find joy in that because it's those moments where we do see the real presence of Jesus in our, in our lives. And Philip doesn't just do it when it's convenient, so he's jogging along, and he wants to speak joy. And so some things about the Ethiopian... Uh, when we look on the outside, this guy looks like he has it all, okay? He's from Ethiopia, he's the Ethiopian eunuch, and so we don't really know his name, but he clearly was wealthy. He could buy a hand-copy book, or hand-copy book of Isaiah, which back then, that would have been very expensive. Uh, he was the secretary of treasure of Ethiopia. He served probably the queen. He was educated, and clearly he's open-minded because he's a Gentile, reading a Jewish book. But on the outside, this guy, or sorry, on the inside, this guy doesn't have it all, all right? Clearly, all right? Uh, He probably would have been castrated at a probably young age, probably before puberty. If you don't know what that means, ask your dad. Happy Father's Day. And so eunuchs were also employed as royal servants and kind of considered less dangerous, uh, they usually served queens, and without offspring, they wouldn't be able to, you know, keep their family line going. Uh, and so they were kind of seen as like fodder to the royal family. If they got in trouble, they could execute them, and no one would bat an eye. Um, and they were also seen not as a real man. Plus, as a non-Jew, every time he would go to the temple, he could go no closer than the court of Gentiles. And as a eunuch, he would never really become a Jew by full conversion. So all his life, if he's heard about, about Ju- uh, Judaism, he can't join because of his physical body. So unable to participate in temple worship and excluded from membership among God's people, he still pursues God through studying the word. And he's reading the most of Isaiah at this point. He's reading Isaiah chapter 53, and he's pretty much almost done the book. But the question he asks is key to the conversion. Looking at verse 31, he says, How can I unless someone guides me? It's the right question at the right time for Philip to answer. And so we see as Philip is going over this passage... The Ethiopian then asks a question of not how does this happen, but who is this? Who is this talking about? This is a person. And so Philip answers the question by pointing to Jesus. We don't know the details of the conversation or how long it lasted, but we know by the end of the conversation on the road, he asks the next big question. What prevents me from being baptized? His entire life, there's been a bar. He can't have a family, and so in his life, he's probably asked several questions like, what prevents me from having a family? What prevents me from being accepted and respected by my peers? What prevents me from entering the temple? There's always been a bar that he can't clear. 
because of something that was not his choice. And God was not picky with Old Testament laws here. Jesus did not come to just loosen up the rules and make it easier for everybody to get in. But the Old Testament laws was a teaching aid to show the physical defects that pointed to the spiritual defects. The eunuch was physically weak, unable to reproduce, but spiritually, we're all eunuchs. Without Jesus, there is no real fruit. There's re there is no spiritual good or life. We're powerless. And so, Philip baptizes him in a desert, a place where there's death surrounding them, there's a body of water, an oasis, and new life and a new identity for this man occurs. And when Philip leaves, it's like a scene out of Star Trek. There you go, Jim. No office references, but science fiction. Uh, and he leaves, and he, gonna, he still pursues uh, his mission, and he goes to Caesarea. And as the Ethiopian is there, if he stayed, which I like to think he just kept reading Isaiah, if he kept reading to Isaiah 56, verses 4 through 5 say, For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold my fast covenant, I will give in him my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. That's why we all need to answer that question of who. Who can fix what is broken in us and in our world? Who can cleanse what we've stained? Who can do in me what I cannot? Who can work through me for good, others as I cannot do on my own? And here we can answer with the good news of Jesus. There's no bar that he doesn't clear for us. So what prevents you from being baptized, from being identified with Jesus in his death and resurrection, from enjoying adoption into, a ver into the very family of God? Nothing. Maybe you're tired that you feel like you're not good enough that you're tired, you don't belong, or you're tired of hearing that some self-condemning voice in your head. And the best way to show this is through Jesus and just know that you are a son and daughter of Jesus. And that's why we need to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus of where we are. We get to say what Jesus says. Repent and believe the good news. Your sins are forgiven. God has done and is doing what, we, what we're weak to do ourselves. And nothing prevents you from being joined with Jesus in baptism. So that what God said to Jesus at his, at, at his baptism might be his word to you now. You are my beloved child, my beloved son, my beloved daughter. With you, I am well pleased. Let's pray. Lord, I plead for the church and myself, that we can go out and use our conversations, our words, and our actions to bring good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in our communities. Amen.